Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. time uh, we are getting to this place and I hope here's my real hope is that when we do all come together I I hope you are in kind of like a consistent dialogue with Jesus okay it's really so easy to get like disconnected from this right and go oh man you know uh, maybe you didn't know what equilibrium meant or maybe you didn't know all of those things you know but 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 it's so easy for us to get kind of like instead of going no this is great but having a a conversation with Jesus about what we're singing. It may not be your favorite song, but you're having a conversation with Jesus is different, right? And so I would just encourage you to do that. But Carl, great job, man. I mean, I tell you, I always do learn a little bit more about economics uh, when you're up here. So I have missed you coming up here. And uh, I have some floodplain models for you to take a look at in a couple of weeks. He knows what I'm talking about. So, uh, so anyway, um, but really, even now, as we get going, I hope your desire is to hear what Jesus has to say. I hope that's your greatest desire, and it isn't to hear like some dude who obviously knows everything about technology up here uh, doing a great job, right? Um, but really, just getting into that place, okay, of just you talking to Jesus, like what, what is it you want, and hopefully it's you're being honest with him about where you are right now, okay? Whether, where, whether it's a place of hurt or whether it's a place of joy or whether it's a place of skepticism or cynicism or struggling with faith. A lot of times we, we think, man, you can't come to church if you're struggling with skepticism or faith or cynicism. And thankfully, we see plenty of Jesus' disciples wrestling with that very thing, right? So we just need to be honest about where we are. Um, and so let's take a minute for you to do that where you are right now, just to yourself, pray, and uh, then we'll continue in a second. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit uh, moves us, Father. We are grateful that the work Uh, that you're already doing in the world around our lives. Make us sensitive to that, Father. Help us to see what you want us to see and conform to what you want us to conform to in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going into this, uh, you know, we're we're talking about renewing, being renewed, renewal, refreshing, reviving, all of these things, right? I mean, this is good stuff. And we are going to enter into a period of time where what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to be studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Okay? Now, if there is a church that needed renewal, it was the Corinthian church. Okay? If there is a church that you look at and you wonder, how on earth did they stay in the kingdom of God? Okay? I mean, there's so much here. So over the next, I don't know, couple months, three months or so, um, you're going to know where we are. But, but here's the great thing is, 1 Corinthians has everything in it. Right. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about resurrection. 
We're going to talk about women's roles. We're going to talk about marriage. I mean, you go through the whole thing, right? Right, and the kids are going, can he say sex in front of everybody? Yes, it's okay. We're going to talk about that in Corinthians, right? And, and that's a good thing, and we're going to dig into it. And here's my goal, okay, is that we, ha- we do have a true paradigm shift, right? Because it's very easy for us to read the Bible. And again, I think we, we can be somewhat, I think, arrogant about this, is that, hey, just, you can just pick up the Bible and read it and, and, and get it. To, to a certain degree, you can, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that this is a book written a couple thousand years ago to a culture that wasn't a Western culture, right? The Eastern culture that they're going to make you work for it a little bit, right? It's not just something that's going to be passed down in a few easy points to remember and to take with you. And so we're going to dissect 1 Corinthians here, and I hope it's something that when we leave here, um, this is something that we're seeing that... It's renewing us as well, okay? So I want to read this to you. The ideal, this is a quote from Ernst von, uh, whatever his last name is there, it's German. I don't want to confuse you. (laughs) The ideal of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual. The merchant who made his gains by all and every means. The man of pleasure surrendering er surrendering himself to every lust. The athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his physical strength are the true Corinthian types. In a word, the man who recognized no superior in law, but his own desires. Maybe that sounds familiar. That might have a ring of familiarity to it. You're going, wow, this is really amazing because the ideal Corinthian, also when you read that, you're going, this is kind of like us here too. Isn't it? Or I might be just way off base. I mean, hopefully we're not like, like, you know, on different pages here. I mean, if you're thinking like, no, Keith, you don't understand. Here in America, everything is pristine and perfect and no, one, and, and no one's selfish and no one's out for material gain and no one's all about pleasure and lust and all these things. I think, think that's not true, right? I think we do live in this community here, right? And it's really important for us to get a connection this way to the Corinthians. It's really important because if we don't, then it just becomes like them over there that did this thing. And we're kind of like reading from the outside instead of realizing we're actually reading about our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, we're reading about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're reading from Paul who, again, keep this in mind. Paul's goal was not to run a church. Paul's goal was not to run a church. This isn't like a church manual. Paul's goal was to proclaim the gospel and raise men and women up and equip them and mature, help them mature in discipleship, right? And so all of these things are going to come into play as we study this out, right? Um, hopefully you're kind of getting this idea, this kind of locking in, where is Corinth? All right, and, and, and listen, you, you got to, you, know, you might go, I'm not a maps person. Here's what I'm saying. If we're going to be reading about our family We need to know where they live. We need to know how they talk, right? We need to be connected to them more than just, oh, it's a book in our Bible, right? But having an idea of, well, where is this? And hopefully you're noticing that that is the Mediterranean Sea right there, right? Hopefully you can look over and see where Jerusalem is and Israel right over here. 
and it cruises on up and there's Corinth. Okay, and so this is what we recognize today as Greece, right? It's this country of Greece, but you have that city of Corinth right there. And there are a couple of things I think that are really important that we would, that, that we would pick up. If we were to transport ourselves right now to first century Corinth, there are a few things I think that would stand out and that will be helpful for us to dig into this book, okay? The first one is this, is this idea of where Corinth is situated, right? There are people from all over the world coming in, okay? This is like, there's actually three ports that come in, right? And so you're getting this, I want you to picture this, not this small little tiny village, but this bustling city of commerce, right? That you would come in and you would see people and, and a, a multitude of, of just, uh, just, uh, just multi-ethnicity and different worldviews and, and all of these things. You'd be going through the marketplace and there would be people selling things. You would look and find that there are a lot of different schools of philosophy. You could go and find somebody to follow their particular philosophy, right? And so all of these things are happening and, and we need to kind of lock that in because we're going to start seeing that Paul is going to speak directly to these things. Right. And so it's really this isn't just kind of head knowledge that we hang on to, but it's this idea. And this is probably, you know, this is kind of a recreation, but it, Corinth was big. All right. There, there was a ton of folks. OK. Now, if we were able to go into town, we would look up and this is actual Corinth. And we would look up and there is on the top of that hill, there's this temple to their girl, Aphrodite. Okay, that was, that, that was what they were about. Now, understand, they did worship a lot of other gods. Poseidon was one, but, but their girl, the one who they really, man, her temple was up top, okay? And what was really interesting and how that affected the community was the number of temple prostitutes that worked there and would converge on the city at night, right? And so people would go, this became a normal part of society. This wasn't immorality, okay? This is important for us to keep in mind. Right? If we were hanging out in Corinth, we would go, man, you mean you went and got a prostitute, but you're married, man? No, 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 no. It's like, yeah, that's like, so what? Could you imagine that? I mean, this is, this is serious depravity, right? But this is something we would notice. This is what kind of filtered through the whole town was this idea of worship to Aphrodite. And we would be influenced in some way, shape, or form. The other thing that we would probably get an idea of is... Um, actually, Corinth was the location of one of four ancient Greek games, okay? The ones we're most associated with is the Olympics, right? That's what we know. Those were ancient Greek games every four years. Well, the Isthmus games were also every four years, but they were in between the Olympic games, okay? Very similar to how we do like our summer and winter Olympics, okay? This was a huge deal. If you wanted to be in these Olympics, if you wanted to, people had to watch you train to make sure you were like legitimate enough to actually go in and compete. For months, they would watch you train and make sure that you were pouring everything into this. And you may be going, oh, that's pretty neat. Man, Paul is going to nail this later, okay? You're going to go, oh, that's how the people understood this. What was interesting about the Isthmian Games was that it centered around kind of combat sports, right? It was Greek wrestling, Greek boxing. They had a style of like Greek MMA. It was basically like no holes barred, just fighting. There was really kind of no rules. And then they had chariot racing. Those were like the main four, okay? We would probably love that, right? I mean, that would be pretty crazy. But the final thing is this right here. Let's see if we're going. 
There was a word to describe the Corinthians. All right. There, there was a word. This wasn't just, this is what people said. And I won't even try to pronounce that word. That's tough. Okay. But it means to live like a Corinthian. And what that meant was you were immoral and you were a drunkard. In fact, in plays at the time, the Corinthians were always portrayed as people who were inebriated at all times. Right. This is looking at somebody and saying, man, you live like a Corinthian, meaning you're absolutely immoral. This was a word. This was a common word. This was a word that wasn't meant to be positive. All right. So this is the culture we'd be walking in. I really do want to encourage you to kind of get your mind right down into that area of what are they hearing? Okay. There were two vices that plagued Corinth. The greed for material gain and lust. All right, this is, this is what, man, this is what made Corinth go. And again, it sounds very familiar. It sounds familiar to us. Greed for material gain, right, and lust. Sensuality. So the deal is this, is like, who really cares about all that stuff? You're like, okay, that's great. I can like answer some questions on Jeopardy maybe, right? Except here's the crazy thing. If we're going to be serious about this, and what I mean about this is to really become a people, like a community that is going to conform itself to God's word, we have to be able to handle it correctly, right? This, this is not, it, it, I know probably everybody that walks in the church says, yeah, no, no, I know how to handle the Bible correctly. And very few people that I meet actually know how to do this, to handle the word correctly. So it's this idea of if we really are going to be this, we have to do that. So what does that mean? This one like major principle here. And a lot of you have heard me use this principle over and over and over. And, and, and hopefully for however long I'm preaching, this is what I'll keep reminding everyone of. All right. The Bible can never mean something to us that it didn't mean to the original hearers okay it cannot you can't handle the truth correctly you can't handle the word correctly and think that we're reading something that the original hearers wouldn't have even heard about all right that that's a big one like when we talk about this idea of even a sinner's prayer and if you would have brought that to the first century they would go what is that and if we were to give them all of our proof texts about what we use for that, they would go, that doesn't mean that at all. That's not what we heard. That's not what was meant. All right. And so, again, this is a total paradigm shift. This is like getting our minds like wrapped around something that we may need to even adjust how we're viewing Scripture. Right. So in short, what that means is we have to learn what happened then and there. What did they hear before we can find out what does it mean to me and you here and now? Right. Most people say, no, no, I just want to read the Bible and know what it means for me right now. And buddy, we get all in a weird place when that happens. OK, we really, really do. So anyway, turn your Bibles over to First Corinthians chapter one. OK, um, we're going to start here um, in your mind. OK, this is I'm just kind of sharing. I would love for you to be locked in and go, OK, when was the Corinthian church planted? Right, you don't have to answer that, but start thinking in your mind because we're thinking contextually. 
We're trying to get a historical context and a literary context. We're trying to like get ourselves to a place where we're hearing what they heard in order for us to apply it in our lives today. Okay? And so hopefully you're going, oh man, you know, Paul planted Corinth in the book of Acts, right? The book of Acts is like that wagon wheel, right? Like right in the middle and all these spokes come off. And in Acts chapter 18, you can go back and read about how Paul planted the church in Corinth. And he met somebody named Priscilla and Aquila. And there are all kinds of really just fantastic things, but it gives you a little bit more depth to what we're going to be reading here, okay? But we're going to start out, okay? We're going to read the first. Uh, we're actually going to jump down to verse 4, okay? Uh, Paul begins with a greeting, first of all. And I know, I know some of you are like, but Keith, man, don't go past the greeting, dude. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The greeting's great. It's from him and the greeting's from Sosthenes and all of these things to the church in Corinth, okay? Really important is that he is writing to people who are Christians, right? A lot of times it's very easy to misread the Bible, but he's writing to the church of disciples in Corinth. And he says this, I always thank my God for you because of the grace God, uh, because of the grace, uh, grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. For you were made rich in every way in him, in all your speech, in every kind of knowledge, just as the testimony about Christ has been confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He'll strengthen you to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This may be a section that just kind of flies by. Okay. But again, we're, we're, we're really going back and trying to get an idea of how did the Apostle Paul like interact with a church that was in desperate need of renewal, in desperate need of repentance. Like, where did he go first, right? Oftentimes, our idea is, let's just get to work, just start plugging away. Paul is like a master disciple maker, right? He's this master church builder. And he says, you know, I always thank my God. And you go, well, that's great. What's the big deal? Well, the Corinthians didn't like Paul very much. They gave him trouble. This is the guy that planted their church. He stayed with them for 18 months. He raised up leaders. He taught. He shared. He was arrested. You know, all of these things happen. And then we find that the Corinthians would say things like, that dude, he's not even really an apostle. He's not legitimate. Right? And, and there was this idea of, Paul, we won't listen to you. And gave him enough of a hard time that we read, even we'll read later in 1 Corinthians, but also in his next letter, We'll read that he was pretty frustrated. It was a frustrating group of folks to work with. Okay, and so that highlights this, that highlights this right here. When he says this, I always thank my God for you. Okay. I wonder what the church would be like. I wonder what the church would be like if our gratitude and our prayers for one another exceeded our performance. We should think about that for a second. All right, the church isn't the world. <laughs> the church is in the kingdom of God. I wonder what it would be like, because isn't it, isn't it something that, like me and you are okay with this, of just being angry and frustrated and put off? 
with our brothers and sisters. And I'm going to reel it back, okay? Because a lot of times we think like big picture. I'm bringing it all the way back. This is, he's talking to this local church in Corinth, right? So again, I'm not talking about like this, the greater church. I'm talking about the local Clemson Foothills Church, right? What they would have heard was he always, he always thanks God for us. He always does. You mean he prays for us? I wonder what this would be like. What an example he's setting of this idea of, man, I'm not waiting for you to perform perfectly before I'm grateful for you and grateful for how God works in your life. All right, so this is important. In, in, in Corinth, uh, what the kind of the main thing was, was you could be kind of self-made. You, you, you made your own way. You worked hard enough. All right, we, we relate to that, right? I mean, here in the U.S., you work hard, you get things, you do that well. And, and Paul reminds them over and over and over again, I'm grateful for what God has given you because he's given you these things. All right, now, now sit here for one second, okay? And, and think about just your life and, and how often we're going, no, no, God, yeah, God, God let me wake up today. God let me live in the place I live. God, let me do this. So often we start getting into this place of, no, I got my house and I got my car and I got my this and I got all this. No, 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 no. God did all these. I made my way to church. No, God made my way to church, right? Is that there's this lack of dependence on him and more of a dependence on us, right? I think we can fall into that. Hopefully that's like going into our memory banks of going, man, am I feeling like I just, it's me that does everything. And like, I'm where I am. And, and if, if everybody else would just do better like me, man, the church would be better. Okay. This is a challenge, man. This is a challenge. This is a challenge uh, for the self-righteous. This section right here. This section I thank God always. I thank God for what he's done and what he's given you. And I want you to think, just in the church family, is, with a clear conscience, could you go, no, I, I thank God for all of you and all of my prayers. And I'm thankful for what he's done. Not for what you've done necessarily, but what he's done in you. All right? And that's really a vital part of renewal is this idea of realizing God is doing work before me and you even get involved. You, you ever thought that before? Like, hey, God will get to work when I meet somebody. <laughs> no. God's been at work. All right? God is at work right now. God is not like waiting for you to let him know how to work. All right? It's this idea of us going, God, where are you working? And Paul was sensitive to that. Paul was able to go, okay, I, I see where God's working. Right here in Corinth, I see God working and I see his grace and I see his strengthening and I see this big picture, All right? But I wonder what it would be like, right, if our gratitude exceeded people's performance. And right, I think there's a little nugget in there. I think there's a reason why Paul started out with this, all right, is reminding them of that. Now, there's some of you guys in here, and I'm one of them. <laughs> and you're going, but Keith, what about sin, man? Like, really? Like, I'm supposed to just, like, be, like, this some, 
like crazy community of people that are just like, oh no, kind of like, you know, the, the super hippie universe of everybody's just okay and all that kind of stuff. I'm just going, what? But Paul's not doing that at all. All right. Or we go, no, I'm not going to be grateful for so-and-so. I'm not going to love so-and-so because, because why? Because that'll encourage them to love God more? Like that's the strategy of the church? Right? That, that seems weird, okay? And so Paul is going, hold on a minute. He's going to get into things, but first and foremost, so I wonder if that's what we do. I wonder. But he goes on and he says this. I urge you, brothers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together, to end your divisions, to be united by the same mind and purpose. For members of Chloe's household have made it clear to me, my brothers and sisters, that there are quarrels among you. I got to pump the brakes really hard right there. Okay. What's up with Chloe's household? (laughs) You know what we do? What's Chloe doing gossiping? But you know, Paul didn't say anything about that. Isn't it crazy? And, and I know this has happened, and I've had it happen to me before. Brother comes up to me, says, hey, let, let's talk. You know, I kind of heard from this person. They told me they were concerned about you and all this kind of stuff. So, hey, wh- where are you at? Why is that guy gossiping to you? Who says he's gossiping? <laughs> Right? And, and we put up like this smoke screen, like this hard wall. Like, no, 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 no. You're not coming in here. I just found the loophole where you won't affect my heart. He's going, no, I just called Chloe out to the whole church. Right? Could you imagine sitting, and, and the Corinthian church was, people think, somewhere between like maybe 25, 30 people or upwards to 100 maybe, like right in there. Could you imagine sitting in a group and you're reading this? And, and some of Chloe's household has told Paul. And there's like Chloe's household sitting over here. Going, oh no. <laughs> right? No one likes Chloe's household anymore. But anyway, Chloe's household made it clear that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this that each of you is saying, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Or were you, in fact, baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Otherwise, I don't remember whether I baptized anyone else. I love that. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with clever speech, so that the cross of Christ would not become useless. I mean, you got to love Paul just saying this. He's like, no, I didn't baptize many of y'all. Well, you, and then maybe this row here, and you guys over there, but I don't really remember. I love that, okay? But here's the deal. Right at the beginning here, he's saying this is, right when he shared, I thank God for you. I'm grateful for you. And I see how God's working in your life. And a lot of times, they're, they're, we, we kind of can go on like polar opposites of personality type where we're like, I like that first. I can do that. Like you can come and sit down and I will tell you like I'm grateful for you and you're incredible and you're amazing and keep going and I want to just spur you on. And, and you're thinking in your mind, yeah, that's the way it should be. And then Paul goes, but here's the deal. I'm urging you 
to change some things. All right? And, and, and there's other of us going, yeah, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're talking. He's going to urge you. So which paragraph is right? We've got to have both. Right? This idea of a deep love and gratitude that transcends performance, but a seriousness towards sin where we can sit down with somebody and say, hold up a minute. Let me urge you. I thought you were grateful for me. <laughs> right? We, I'm just throwing that out there so we don't use that. I thought you were grateful. And he says this. I urge you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to agree together, to end your divisions, and to be united with the same mind and purpose. So clearly what Paul is saying is that everyone in the church should think the same way about everything. Right? <laughs> we should agree in every issue. And man, if we don't, we're in trouble. You know, but Keith, that's not what they heard. That doesn't sound like what they heard at all. He's saying this, here's what's important. Right, this gratitude that transcends performance, for sure. This idea of this urging of going, here's what can't happen in the church. Okay. Is this idea of you aren't united on the gospel. You are united on it. Because the gospel is about one thing. And you're going, well, oh, a few weeks ago we preached about the gospel. <laughs> All right, people go, well, the gospel is this and that. No, 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 the gospel is one thing. It's the arrival of the new king, crucified and risen, to his kingdom. That is the gospel. All right? They weren't in agreement on that. What they were saying is, is they'd be baptized and go, well, but I'm with Ben. Ben, baptize me. Like, that's who I trust. I don't trust those other guys. I'm not going along with those other guys. Like, we have our thing. Like, me and Ben, we see eye to eye. Right? And then somebody's going, no, 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 Mike baptized me. Like, that's my boy right there. Okay? And you had all of these folks going, no, 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 we know the better way. And there wasn't any of them going, hold on a minute. We were baptized into Jesus' name. His gospel was that he's king. Ben doesn't get to be king. I don't get to be king. Mike doesn't get to be king. Do you think that happens today? Do you think that happens in Christianity today? Is that we find kind of like, I find my person, or I find my teacher, or I find my whatever, right? And, and with, with the internet, it's kind of broadened the, the pool a little bit, right? It's not just like with who we see in here, but it's also like, no, 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 I trust Tim Mackey. No, 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 I trust Marty Solomon. No, 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 I trust over here like Billy Graham and Robbie Zacharias and all these folks, John Piper, like, like, these are my people I trust. And, and my question is the same as Paul's. Were you baptized into their name? That's really, really, really important. And he's saying, don't just kind of change this. Like, I urge you to get on the same page. Right? There is no other way about it. So when you go into the Corinthian church or you go into the Clemson Foothills church, it's the idea of every person is going, Jesus is the king. He's the king of this church. He's the king of my life and my family's life and my family group's life. And he, he is the king. We, that's the language, okay? What we oftentimes do, though, is we start out and go, no, no, well, nobody's perfect. Stop. 
All right. There, there's something about that. OK. Yes, I get it. No one's perfect. But who's your king? See, that's very different. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We are going to fall. We are going to have a hard time. It is going to be tough. We are going to have trials. But our answer, if Jesus is our king, if we're united in the right gospel, if we're speaking that language. We are going to say things like, but, every, but nobody's perfect. We're going to go, but Jesus is king. And now what do I do? And now where do we go? And what does the king say? You see that when you're unified in this, everything funnels back to the king. Right. Unfortunately, now, I think in oftentimes in churches is out of however many people are there, there's six or seven different like teachings going on in your head. And unfortunately, the reason that is, is because we haven't learned to to dig in and study our own Bible. Right. We haven't we haven't done that. And so wouldn't it be sad? Wouldn't it be sad when Jesus came back and we're like, yes, this is so awesome. And he goes, well, I thought you were baptized in John Piper's name. I thought you were a disciple of Carl. He was your king, I thought. You listen to everything he said. Instead of going back, you see what I'm talking about? When there is a, when there's this pinpoint focus on what is the gospel, like what it is, okay, then all of a sudden the entire community comes together and we're speaking the same language. Okay, that's really, really, really important here, okay? Again, he's saying, I urge you. This is a challenge to the apathetic, okay? The first one challenged the self-righteous. Oh, I can't be grateful for the, for the knucklehead, all right? This one is going to challenge the apathetic. Urge you? What? You know, get your attitude right. This is going to challenge us, okay? But Paul is doing something really crazy here. Jesus came full of grace and truth, and that's exactly what Paul is doing. This is a great model of interaction in a discipleship, in a relationship between disciples. Right? Full of grace, full of truth. I wonder, do we do this today? All right? Or which side are you more kind of heavy on? You know, are you more on the side of, hey, you got the guns blazing? You better get it straight and all that. Are you more on the side of, no, 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 no. Listen, don't upset people. Okay. I wonder. I wonder. I want to highlight this, though, before we leave this section. I want to highlight this because it matters, okay? And, and you might not be able to see it in the pink right there. But the number of times in this section that Paul writes a term like either by the name of or in the name of. All right. Here's what's really important. And please check my math on this, okay? Like, you go back and check this. Don't be like, oh, he doesn't. No, no, you go back and check this. But here's the crazy thing about that, as far as what did they hear when they heard that term, right? Because we've messed it up. We've been like, oh, in the name of, and, I, and it just means like this superficial thing to them. It meant entering into a relationship of owning, in business, it was a transaction where one thing was given. So if Tyler wanted to buy my iPad and I would give it to him, right? And we would say, you know, that I'm giving this to you in the name of Keith, right? I'm transferring this ownership to you, right? It's legal to a soldier. It was about, this is the time I said, I'm loyal and allegiant to the king, right? To a servant or a slave, it was this idea of now I'm owned by so-and-so. So this word has some really powerful meaning. So when he's saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus, 
in the authority of, through the sovereignty and loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul. You didn't come under my authority. If I baptize you, you didn't come under my authority. If Sarah baptized you, you didn't come under her authority. He says, but here's the thing is, is, is you were, no one, he said, I don't want anybody to say that you were baptized into my name. But then he goes on to this little section down here. And this is like, man, throwing a grenade on things. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with clever speech so that the cross of Christ will be emptied by its effect. Okay. We're going to see right there. Baptism means nothing. And and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you to sit down in the text and hear what they heard. Okay, this is vitally important. You've heard me talk up here about this idea of, of a difference between a conversion experience and discipleship. We're addicted to the conversion experience. Like we think the church was put on this earth for the conversion experience. Like, we're running around like a bunch of spiritual, like, OBGYNs, man. Just like, we're here, and we're about the birth, and that's it. And, and Paul's going, no, actually, see, what I came for was what I told you to be unified in. That Jesus was and is the king. And, and you know what part of that is? You do have to come from death to life. You, you do have to do that. You, he's not saying that baptism doesn't mean anything. He's saying, yeah, y'all participated in baptism. Y'all did have an, a, a time where you went from death to life. Well, well, Keith, how do you know that, man? That's just like conjecture. That's just like making things up, except in Acts 22, like Luke actually writes down the conversation that Paul had with Ananias who baptized him. That's crazy. Go, Ananias, what'd you, how'd you study the Bible with Paul? And he said, he said Paul, like, Paul had a few really rough days, you know? He, he was blinded, he was fasting, he was praying. I mean, he was in, in, in rough shape. And Ananias says, hey, what, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, washing your sins away, calling on his name. All right, that, that's Paul's reality. That fits in this context. It brings into even the Great Commission, Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go make disciples, well, for what or how? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? That's the unity. That's this idea of, hold on. Remember in Matthew 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? That's, that's I'm king. Right? You keep, there's no way around that. I'm king. Now go and do this. And when you're baptized, you're baptized into my ownership now. Like you've changed ownership from the world to God, all right? And so that's just vitally important because a lot of times we read this and it becomes this battle, which I'm not quite certain why. It's this battle of like the meaning of baptism here. And we forget what Paul is even teaching, okay? And he's saying, no, we all, we all participated in this, but understand something. I didn't come for a conversion time. I came to mature you. I came to preach this kingdom gospel. All right. And what happens with that? Well, we learned that a couple paragraphs up or one paragraph up. We learned about that. It's because when we're talking about the kingdom of God and God and Jesus as king, 
everything funnels back into the word. It's beyond our own like opinion. It goes beyond that. Here's the interesting thing. So we've read 17 verses. Well, we read actually 13 verses, but the first 17 verses, Paul uses the term the Christ 14 times. Okay. Now, Christ means anointed one, right? King. king. He used it 14 times in 17 verses. He's like reminding them. Remember, Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. It's his title. He's king. And he's reminding them over and over again about the king, about the king, about the king. I wonder what would happen if we kept doing that. I wonder what it would be like if we had this gratitude that like exceeded performance, that we had this like deep like desire to be unified together in the gospel and everything came back in our conversations to who's the king? What does the king say? What's wor- what is worthy of the king? Like, am I, being, am I living in a way that's worthy of the king? Paul really did a few things here. He applied and, and reminded the people about God, God's work. I think we've got to do that with one another. We've, we've got to remind one another, God is working in your life. Now, you may be in a complete rut. You may be in a place where you're going, man, this is so hard. God can't be working. No, no, no. God probably most likely lets you get there because we weren't listening necessarily, okay? But we're in a place, and I think we've got to start with this, is this idea of not just expressed gratitude above performance, but this idea of remembering that God is at work and we have to remind one another. All right, God is at work. God is working. He hasn't abandoned us, right? Paul modeled truth. He's like, I urge you to do this. And he urged unity. I think this is like pretty, three, pretty easy three kind of takeaways that I've got to start examining in my life, right? And so these are the questions for me. Am I actually grateful in word and prayer for my brothers and sisters, regardless of spiritual performance? No more theory. Like, like, put your name to that. Am I actually this? All right? Because Paul's letter, okay, we, we know what they heard. It, it's not different for us. For him to go to each person, Carl, are you grateful? Above performance? Do, do, do people know it? Do they know you're grateful? Or is it just a secret that you keep to yourself? When was the last time you urged a brother or sister on in righteousness, in the king's righteousness? You urged them on. All right, that's a serious conversation. That's this idea of like, we got to have those conversations sometimes. Like, hey, look me in the eye. I've got to urge you to do this. When was the last time? That, that may be like a big never, right? Because you might just be all about the one. Or it's like, no, that's, that's how I do it. I'm just like slinging it. And, and I'm not, <laughs> nobody knows if I love them at all, right? Am I unified in the gospel with my local church? Am I unified in the gospel? Well, it's going to matter. Do you know what the gospel is? Right? And, and, and is that like your calling? Is that like how you live? No, Jesus is king, crucified and risen. He's the king of this kingdom. That's the gospel. That's what we live by. That's the good news. Right? 
Am I unified with that? Or is my gospel something else? Like my gospel of prosperity, right? My gospel of like consumerism, like different gospels, right? I love this. Corinth is this messy church in messy times. These churches require a lot of grace, unbending truth, and a call to gospel unity in Jesus our King. All right. A lot of times what, we, what can happen is, is we equate the church with the kingdom of God. We say, well, the church is the kingdom. The church is in the kingdom. Okay, that's very important because if the church is the kingdom, then we're going, hold on a minute, it can't be a mess. It can't be a mess. There's no way it could be a mess. The kingdom's not a mess. And we start going, oh, but, but how do we look compared to this other church and all these kind of things going, oh, hold up a minute. It's this goal of like, there's a destination. There's a, who is your king? 